Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Mike and Milan. It is Friday, January 28th. In this episode, it's a quiet transfer window. What the fuck is actually going on? I'm flying solo while Laurent is uh, out of town. We look at some internationals, CONCACAF, standings and fixtures, a big weekend coming up from specifically the US, Mexico, and Canada, and the craziest in AFCON. Uh, really checking out the Ivory Coast and Egypt match, which is pretty much the only two teams that anybody really should give a shit about. But first, there's no scores. There's no nothing. There's just me. Sorry. Laurent's the the the... The reason you tune in, but you're stuck with me today. So let's, as we sit here on January 28th, we are kind of like a crackhead just, just waiting for something, anything, any any morsel of information, of a rumor even, of a big name going anywhere in the Premier League. And it's it's there's a number of reasons why this is the most boring, quietest, weirdest, just uneventful transfer window we've seen in a long time. But I I still, with three days left, I'm, I'm still holding out hope. I want something to happen. I, I In fact, it's funny to watch Adama Traore get introduced at Barcelona, who was courted by Tottenham for uh, two full windows. That's like eight months, right? And everybody was so sure that the, you know, the number one thing that Tottenham Hotspur need is another right wing back. That, that makes sense. Um, but so he's off to Spain. So I'm back to Barcelona. I believe it's a loan deal with a purchase option to buy for Barca, which makes sense because they're fucking straight out of cash. Um, but what's actually going on? Well, the obvious answer, the easy answer is, Hey Mike, remember that thing that happened? That's been two years ago to two years long where, uh, everybody ran out of money because the world stopped. Right, right, right. Um, that's true. But if you look at January transfer windows, they're generally speaking, of course, they're significantly lower than the summer transfer windows. But that's not really the whole story. There, there doesn't seem like there's anybody out there that's willing to sell any high caliber players. I mean, what we're talking about here is, you know, you'd have guys changing hands. Bruno Fernandes, for instance, was uh, purchased by Manchester United, I think, three years ago at this point. But ESPN had a good breakdown. I'm looking at it now. In the 2018-19 season, um, across all five leagues, let's see, how much was that? Uh, roughly, hmm, that's roughly $500 million. Just, let's just go with the Premier League. In 2018-19, the Premier League teams purchased $205 million, a million euros worth of, of player signings. In twenty in the summer of 2018-19, conversely, it was 1.38 billion. So to give you an idea, right, it's it's seven times smaller than the summer window. That's fine. I understand that. But even still, you would think teams like Newcastle, flush with cash, all of these, all of these new investments waiting to be unleashed. And you're gonna tell me Kieran Trippier is the biggest name, not just that they signed, in the league, in the Premier League. A guy who couldn't hack it for Tottenham three years ago is now the most expensive signing in a window? I don't care what happened. That's weird, right? Like, that, something's wrong. And you'd think a team on the cusp, 
on the cusp of of five years of a, of back steps. Essentially, if Newcastle go down, they are in a heap of shit. Right, they're in a lot of trouble, and it's not like they don't have the ability to do it. You would think that they'd come out guns blazing. I mean, it's a we've talked about it a lot on the show. It's a four horse race for one spot, one. Right now, Newcastle look like they're in pole position, even though they're technically a point behind Norwich. But are you going to leave that to chance? If you go down, you're going to lose two, three, maybe four, five years of progress. In five years, with the proper... You know what? I shouldn't say that they're going to be... They could be at the top, near the top of the table because what Manchester City did, and, and Laurent is the queen of this, and I say queen on purpose... He knows that they did it systematically, systemically, all the way through, every level, right? They had the best men for the job at every level, which eventually created a number of high-level signings, strong signings. By the way, a number of bad ones too. But that created that funnel of success, and that has sustained their ability to... It, 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 what was an initial investment is now pretty much a, it's a revenue generator for Sheikh Mansour, I'm sure. Um, well, most years. Um, but I just, I don't, I understand that Burnley is like, ah, we're going with what we got, right? Watford can't keep a coach. They're probably, they're probably spending more on coach buyouts than Tottenham are at this point. Um, Norwich is a, is a, is a small club. But you'd think Everton as well, who, by the way, their owner, I'm blanking on his name, just increased his stake in the club from two-thirds to I think it was like 90 or 95%. So he's not wanting for cash. They're building a new stadium as well, which I'm alluding to the big elephant in the room. We'll get there. But then you go look at the top four race. United are not you know, wanting for 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 cash. When are they going to purchase a defensive midfielder? That's obviously more of a summer buy. Okay, fine. I get that. But West Ham, we've talked about their depth or their lack thereof. This is when you strike. This is when you go out and you go get one of these guys. I'm never going to understand. All right. Think of it like this. Pick any of the the three year-long sports in America, right? Forget the NFL for a second. Baseball, hockey, and uh, basketball. At the trade deadline, teams who are either trying to get into the playoffs or teams who are trying to make a deep run into the playoffs and are are close to the top of the standings, they're all buyers, right? They're all looking for that one extra piece, or in some cases, two or three pieces, to supplement what they've already got. In fact, in baseball, when you are dormant at the deadline and you're on the cusp, you're in the pennant race, you're in the playoff wildcard race, if you are dormant, you're actually sending a message to your team. Uh, yeah, okay, I think we're going to hang with what we got. You can read that as, yeah, 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 yeah the, the management believes in us. But what really is is that we're not going to throw any more chips into the middle here because we don't think it's worth it, right? Whereas conversely, if you bring in a big name at the deadline for a, a, a rental – if somebody had gone out, you know, and gotten or, or the Mets with Javier Baez, for instance, is a good example. Now that didn't go well for them, and, and not not to say that they always do, but it energizes the clubhouse when he walks through the door, right? 
So it's it's curious. And then maybe that's just one of the things that's very just culturally different about our sports versus what we find across the pond. But I'm just at a loss. Which brings me to the seventh place team in the table, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. I mentioned Triori. I just, I, and again, I will say it for the 9,000th time on this show, I am glad that Adama Traore is not going to play for Tottenham Hotspur. Flat out. But fuck, I wish he'd do something, right? Like, I know that you're getting Sonny back. I know that you're getting Romero back. But you need, you need another center back to pair with Romero. And I don't think that Sanchez is the answer. You need another defensive midfielder. You need, hi, a creative midfielder. Since Christian Eriksen left, you've needed a creative midfielder. And it's almost like the outward refusal to get one has helped Harry Kane evolve into what's effectively a player who's playing two positions at all times. And, and can play either, I suppose, when he plays for England. So you're welcome, England. Um, but I just, I'm never, never going to understand it. Now, I'm well aware of the financial burden that the club has taken on well before COVID. Going back to the whole stadium project, this, this goes back almost seven, eight years now. So this is nothing new. This is what drove out Mauricio Pochettino. This is what drove out Jose Mourinho, thankfully. They didn't really do much of anything in the summer. Actually, they did okay in the summer. They didn't do well. They did all right. But now you've got Antonio Conte, who was promised some semblance of backing. You've got a manager who needs players that will play his system his way and have a certain level of of not just fitness, but ability. And if you're not going to, first of all, you signed him to an 18-month contract. So if you're not going to supplement his squad in the first and potentially only chance you'll get, you are going to lose him sooner than that 18-month contract is up. Because guess what's going to happen in the summer? Manchester United who are stuttering and sputtering and stumbling all the way to this top four race, will they probably finish in fourth? Yeah, probably. But will will they all of a sudden, well, will half of Manchester at once, having let Conte get away the first time? Now, let's go back in time for a second. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is facing Nuno Espirito Santo. And in the sort of Damocles game, as we called it on this show, okay? And you had a Manchester United team come out and batter, just embarrass Tottenham on their own pitch. The goal Ronaldo scored was unbelievable, and it was it, it was off to the races, right? 3-0, final. Nuno gets sacked. They bring in Antonio Conte next day. A week later, Ole is out. And they have to settle for Ralph Ragnick. So they let Antonio Conte get away once already. And it's not as if Ralph Ragnick is on any firm footing in Manchester. Especially given the fact that they 
He's had a rocky start. He does not seem to be getting on with the players very well. If you have any wits about you, you're waiting for the summer. You're waiting for Conte to basically slowly back away from his pal Paratici, from this, from, from whatever Daniel Levy says he's trying to do. And he walks right into Manchester United. And then he gets whatever he wants, right? And then next year, oh, by the way, what he wants is going to be Declan Rice. And next year, you're probably talking about the Premier League champions. So that's what's on the docket for Antonio Conte. That's more important. That's what's on the docket for Spurs if they don't get their heads out of their collective asses. And by they, I mean Daniel Levy. I mean Joe Lewis. I don't understand. I just, I, I, the, the problem that they seem to have is twofold. A, as I mentioned, Levy, stubborn. He's unwilling to take losses on guys like Steven Bergvine, like Deli Ali, who I love, but I and I will miss. Like Gio Lacelso, like Tangi and Dombele, for fuck's sake. Right? Joe Rodon. All of these players. You've gotten store brand quality. Of another player. Oh, we want Ruben Diaz. No, no, no. We're going to get Joe Rodon. Right? We want Bruno Fernandez. No, we're going to get Gio Lacelso. So, so that's that's problem number one. Where it's, it's, it's bargain hunting and it never seems to work out. Now, the only person that Spurs have signed recently that I will spare from this tirade is Ryan Sessegnon, because still, first of all, he's only 21, maybe 22 years old. Um, he has shown flashes, and in fact, he had a great loan spell in Germany. Um, but he just can't stay on the field. And and that's obviously frustrating, but he does seem to be making important strides. So he's spared. But theoretically, right, the thing about Spurs and the thing about City, and I've said it before on the show, is that Spurs can't afford to miss if they spend 40, 50, 60 million on Gio Lo Celso, on Tangi and Dombele, on 25 on Sessignon, by the way, who looked like he was set to be a star coming out of Fulham, you can't have those players fall flat. They don't have to, they don't have to be earth-shattering. They don't have to be unbelievable, but they really can't underwhelm dramatically. Because that's you taking your shot. Tottenham Hotspur. I get it. I see it. And maybe maybe that guy isn't out there right now. Maybe Dusan Vlahovic was not the guy. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, right? I'm not going to... But he did. But Juve sure shit did, did think he was. But if you can't take those shots very often and you have some buyer's remorse and you can't get rid of the dead wood on your books... That becomes a bit of a storm that's brewing, okay? And there you have the second, the, the, the additional piece in that is that you've got quality players in your side, not the ones I just mentioned. You don't have the ability to buy better players in your side. And it doesn't do you a whole hell of a lot of good to buy 10, 20, 25 million dollar players who are not going to be in your side. Or, or merely challenging for the quality that you already have. 
right? It, depth is not a problem at Tottenham. Quality is a problem. They've got a lot of shit. They just don't have any cream to rise, right? So so these are the issues that Spurs find themselves with. They're, they're will they, won't they? And it ends up being a won't they because they don't have the ability to be wrong. So they'd rather not play in the sandbox at all than, than, than frankly, than be wrong again. Which, ooh, from my point of view, let me tell you, that's, that's not a lot of fun. That sucks. Um, it feels like Arsenal were there for a while. And they've gone, well, they've gone basically back to where Spurs were at the beginning of the Pochettino era, right? They're, they're very similar to that in that there's a lot of homegrown players. Uh, they're young, they're hungry, they come through the system, through the academy. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I just... It makes you wonder what really will be the change in North London. Um, because and, and by the way, Arsenal spent $72 million on Pepe. That was a miss. That did not go well. So it goes... It, it, but... They have the opportunity and the ability to to go on again. And Spurs just don't, right? And, and going back to the top of the show, the pandemic is, of course, part of the reason we're here. It is a lot of the reason we're here. But I feel like the recoil from when you shot the gun last time is still stinging the hands. And that's really... it's it's. I think it's the fear of, of getting burned again. And it's just, it's, I, I get it. I get it. But it's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, but going back to the totals, 2018-19, 200 million as a, as a, as a league in England. 2019-20, just before the world died, 249 million. And then January 2021 was 96 million, right? So, by the way, that averages out to about 5 million a team, which is kind of nuts, right? If you think about it like that. Um, but no, I mean, it, teams have been hit hard, but there's there's no there's no impetus. There's no from either the 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 relegation sides or the top 4 sides. It's it's very confusing to me. And I I I pull up a Guardian top 10 transfer window stories to follow and like None of these names. Jesse Lingard, Manchester United to Newcastle. Who fucking cares? You know? Is is Erickson going to finally sign for Brentford? Who the fuck knows at this point? He's practicing with Ajax. Good for him. Um, I just, I don't know what the next three days are going to bring. And by the time we speak to you next, and Laurent should be back, the window will have just shut hours, hours previous. So I'm very curious to see what this weekend brings. Uh, I'm holding out some kind of hope. I don't know why. I think that comes with the territory of being a Spurs supporter. But no, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about the latest and greatest in Afcon. Uh, it does seem it does seem like one of the major nations is going home early. A little earlier than you would have thought. Uh, Ivory Coast. Cote d'Ivoire, as they are known. Um, going home. 
after a 5-4 penalty shootout loss, after a nil-nil, to Egypt. That's right, Mo Salah's Egypt. And I just, uh, I feel for him. I feel for him. They're, they're the team who's the most uh, recognizable, I think, as, as far as, and them in Ghana. Um, but as far as big star players, Didier Drogba, uh, Yaya Torre, uh, just even in this game alone, there was a number of stars. I mean, Wilfred Zaha, Maxwell Cornet, uh, Nicola Pepe, who I mentioned already, um, Sebastian Allaire, and Eric Bailly of Manchester United, who had quite an interesting penalty miss. Uh, if you didn't catch the highlights, I, uh, it's you didn't miss anything. In fact, Google it. It's a 12-minute video. Go to about the 10th minute of the video because that's pretty much where the penalty shootout starts. Bailly is... So, okay. He's starting the third round of the shootout. All four takers before him have scored. And he has a unique approach. No run-up whatsoever. He looks like a literally a kid playing kickball like a grade school kid, swings the leg. He hits it well. The keeper makes a strong save uh, to his right, and it goes off the bar, keeps it out, and Egypt doesn't miss, right? I mean, Salah comes up with a chance to win it, and he buries it, right? Like, of course he did. Um, Which, as an aside, I never in a million years understand how you have your best penalty taker go last. I understand the importance of the last kick, but there's also a chance that he's not going to go, right? So I've seen Kane take the kicks first for England. I've seen him go fourth and fifth. And for me, if you're not going to go first, then I think the most important kick is fourth. And you could argue, well, he may not get that kick either. But if he wasn't going to get that, if he was going to get that kick, if he wasn't going to get that kick, then, then I mean, him going third probably wasn't going to win you the game, right? So I feel like the inflection point often is the number four spot. Um, and it's more or less insurance to make sure that he goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, Egypt moves on. Um, I don't, let me see who they're playing in the next round here. Morocco. Let's see. So you've got, you've got Burkina Faso and Tunisia. It's a barn burner. Senegal and Equatorial Guinea. Gambia, Cameroon, and Egypt and Morocco. Uh, all, all happening this weekend. All that to say, it's interesting to see Egypt continue to move on, and I think that they'll be favored against Morocco. He said, having no fucking clue who plays for Morocco. But I'm sure that they're not Mo Salah quality. Um, but I think if they continue on, it'll be, it'll be February 3rd and likely in the final at February 6th. Which means that Salah will miss at least the FA Cup fourth round game, which is on February 6th. And he'll probably be back, but who knows about how fit he'll be um, for Liverpool's... uh, He'll be okay by the 13th against Burnley. So it does seem like he could still miss one more game for Liverpool. and, And it does not seem like it'll matter that much. Um, Mane and Kaita do do look like they'll be going home. Um, so all things considered, it seems as though Liverpool have managed 
the AFCON break probably better than we would have thought. I don't know that we thought that the bottom was going to fall out, but you've got uh, a two-leg victory over Arsenal. You've got convincing wins over Palace and Brentford. Uh, the draw against Chelsea, and that, no, that's 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 before Afcon. So um, a Liverpool four-one victory over Shrewsbury in the third round of the FA Cup. The EFL Cup final or semi-final win, Brentford and Palace. I certainly did think that one of those two games would go south for them. Now the problem is that City haven't stopped, right? I mean, despite the fact that they just dropped points uh, to Southampton, they're they're still comfortably nine points clear, even though Liverpool has a game in hand. Call it a two point a two game lead, realistically. If if Liverpool wins their game in hand, it's still six points. Um, Everything will kind of hinge on where do they play April. Oh, so they don't even play until April. So that's interesting because we could see um, that gap close a little bit. Do I think it will? No. Um, but we could see that. I mean, you know, buckle up. We've still got a few months before that April 9th showdown. But that's if, if, the, if the league is still even an inkling of a live until then. And by the way, we're going to have... FA Cup, we're going to have a League Cup final. We're going to have Champions League. We're Inter uh, face off with Liverpool. So um, there's a lot between here and there. Um, I don't know that that game ultimately will mean all that much, but I'm certainly interested. I wish it was sooner. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what actually ends up happening there. And then we turn our attention to CONCACAF. Yep, CONCACAF. Uh, <laughs> As we talk right now, USA and El Salvador are underway. Um, Canada and Honduras kicking off in just a few minutes. Um, I don't know how this weekend's going to turn out, but it's very possible that any of the top four sides will be in the driver's seat in CONCACAF by this time on Monday. So you've got, let's see, Costa Rica and Panama. You've got Honduras and Canada. You've got USA and El Salvador and Jamaica and Mexico. So effectively what you have here is the haves versus the have-nots, right? So those are, that's the first round of fixtures. You would think, you would think that all four of the top clubs there that I mentioned, USA, Mexico, Canada, and, and Panama should go through. But then you start to mix and match a little bit. Predominantly on Sunday where you have the U.S. traveling to their neighbors to the north, taking on Canadians at Tim Hortons Field, which I can only assume is in Toronto. Um, It's a massive, massive game at this point for seeding. Not necessarily for qualification, but for seeding, right? Um... What will be really telling is if one of those top four teams loses tonight and tomorrow. Um, But otherwise, it feels like it's in the bag. Now, the main point is that you don't want to be the number four spot because you do not have an automatic qualification to the World Cup. You'll have to go play somebody from fucking Oceania or something like that in a playoff to be able to punch your ticket. So Mexico and Panama are still kind of, well, all four teams are within two points of each other. Um, they're still kind of fighting it out. Uh, it does sound like uh, Pulisic has traveled. And it does sound like 
uh, Alfonso Davies is having some issues. So, uh, you know, you hate to see that. You want the best players to play. Um, but I don't know what we're going to get out of them. So, uh, and before we go too, too much further, Mexico is in Jamaica. Honduras is hosting Canada. And Costa Rica is hosting Panama. The U.S. is at home. So all of these things, you could you could have problems. This is what CONCACAF does, right? You have these lesser countries in these shit fields with these horrible conditions facing teams that are better than them, but not by any stretch dominant, not by any stretch world powers, right? So you could have any of those four teams take points off the top four, and then all hell breaks loose, right? Um and even 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 draws, because if if let's say the U.S. and uh, El Salvador draw nil nil, or Mexico and Jamaica draw nil nil, which could very much happen, then you've got a situation where you have separation at the top and at that four spot, and that's really what we're looking for here. That's what we're trying to see after this weekend. Is there going to be? Uh, is is number three? going to be out of sight from number four. Do we expect them to be? Sure. Yeah. Should, should Mexico be out of sight from Panama? Yes, they should be. And now they host uh, Costa Rica on, on Sunday evening, by the way. So, and that's at Azteca. So you, you would expect them to take three points from that. But would I be surprised if Jamaica got a result tonight? Not at all. Not at all. Would I be surprised if anything happens in CONCACAF? No chance. Because there's just... The quality of competition at the top is not nearly high enough to pull away confidently and strongly. And that's how you lose to Trinidad and Tobago and miss the World Cup in in 2018. So, there's a lot to happen still. It's really hard to say. Um, But we are going to figure it all out this weekend. And we're going to get back to you on Monday. We're going to wrap it all up. And by this time... On Monday, we will have a closed January transfer window. We will have clarity, he said foolishly, in CONCACAF. And probably one or two nations left in AFCON that anybody gives a fucking shred of a shit about. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Mike Slurner and Alon Cortines, the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never, ever miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please review our show so you can reach more crazy football heads like yourself. Thank you. Have a great weekend.